2: Presented by AT and T. Connecting changes everything.
3: It looks way bigger than it used
4: to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hawk it did not look this daunting.
5: That's because we're usually drunk in here. <laughs> we're usually drunk and hungover.
4: <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I feel well, like I'm mentally prepping myself right now. Like, uh, okay, here we fucking go. It's been a minute. <laughs>
0: This is Elliot Woods, and this is a special bonus episode of Third Squad. I'm back at Camp Pendleton with Manny Mendoza, John Bollinger, Michael Miner, and Laura. And another patrol base fires Marine named Noah Southworth. I was going to say, you know, a couple months ago it wasn't that bad, but actually it is that bad. <laughs> it is. It actually is that bad. It's November 10th, 2021, the Marine Corps birthday and the day before Veterans Day. And we're looking up at the rain gouged trench that passes for a trail up 1st Sergeant's Hill. We're about to hike up to replace the worn out memorial crosses for Nicholas O'Brien, Joshua McDaniels, and Michael Dutcher. The Marines from 1st Platoon, Blackfoot Company, 1-5, who died in Sangin. But before we step off... Hey, can I, can I get everybody over here for a second?
2: Sure.
0: Family meeting. <laughs> Family gathering. A friend of mine is a metal fabricator, and I sent him a message and asked him if he would do something for you guys, and he did, so... Whoever wants to open this, you can. Let's do it together. Together. Forever. They're mm-hmm. best
5: friends. Forever. It's the magical friendship, bitch. Get it right. Oh, yeah, yeah.
6: You guys really know that's how to That's what you guys are make doing. Make a moment.
0: Fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. Oh, that's badass. People aren't gonna be able to see what it is, so do you wanna just What is it? (laughs)
4: Uh, It's a metal metal placard that says "Never above you, never below you, always beside you." And then it's got Nicholas O'Brien, KIA, nine June two thousand eleven. Joshua McDaniel's, KIA, twelve June two thousand eleven. Michael Dutcher, KIA, fifteen September
1: two
7: thousand eleven. Thanks, man. Thank
0: you. Shall we, 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 right. We shall dear.
4: You guys remember when we used to run this?
7: That was stupid. No, how you doing? What? You good? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Southworth served in first squad with Michael Dutcher before Dutch got transferred over to third squad after the June 2011 mass casualties. He's a firefighter in Riverside, California now. And even though he's built like a CrossFit competitor, he's in for an especially rough hike. He took it upon himself to make the new memorial cross. It's six feet long, made of two four-by-four posts. He's got it wrapped in burlap and rope for protection. And he's hellbent on carrying it to the top all by himself.
3: You're such a fucking man, Sal. So... Oh, it hurts.
0: We're about halfway up when... Oh, wow, guess who just finally texted me? Who? Ortega.
5: My name is Lance Corporal David Ortega. I'm 20 years old, and I'm from
0: Beaumont, California. David Ortega. He's the only third squad survivor who didn't want to be interviewed for the podcast. And he's the only one who's still an active-duty Marine, which probably has something to do with it. But several of the guys told me they haven't talked to him much either since they got back from Afghanistan a decade ago. He's a hard man to get hold of. I've been trying to get a hold of him for months. He finally just texted me.
3: <laughs> I a selfie.
4: Maybe you listen to the first couple episodes.
0: As it happens, Ortega is still stationed right here at Camp Pendleton. And I texted him to let him know that we were going to be hiking First Sergeant's Hill on the off chance that he was free. But he says he'll be training recruits at the School of Infantry until late that night. He can't make it today, but he says hi. Hey, cool. In a long text, Ortega says he's been listening to his friend's stories on the podcast. He says... It feels good knowing that they're doing okay. Not many days go by that I don't think about the guys from fires, especially since I ended up staying in the Marines. Everything that happened over there, that deployment, is the reason why I stay in. I wanna try and help Marines not experience what we experienced on that deployment. When we finally reach the top of the hill, the effect is every bit as powerful as the first time.
3: I feel like I just wasn't ready when I got up here. It just kind of hits you.
4: kind of felt like a lump in your throat as you came up over the hill. And it's like, I'm not sure if I'm having a heart attack or I feel like I need to cry. Yeah. Every fucking inch is worth it.
0: Fortunately, we lost part of our group somewhere mid-hill. Miner called to say that his knee gave out, and he and Laura would wait for us down at the bottom. We find the sagging, weather-beaten cross with McDaniels and Dutcher's names on it. Southworth, Mendoza, and Bollinger chat quietly for a few minutes, gazing out at the ocean in the distance and reminiscing about the grueling runs and training missions in these hills they know so well. Then they get to work pulling the old cross out of the ground.
3: Oh, yeah, rocky back and forthy. Rocky back and forthy. Oh, shit, that's barely in there. You know, I was thinking, I was just like, oh, I won't have to carry this on the way back. I'm like, wait. <laughs> we got another cross to bring it back down.
0: Southworth unfastens the rope from his new cross and unwraps the burlap. He stayed up all night sanding and staining it, carefully burnishing the stenciled names.
3: So, we have been coming up on this hill, you know, Every so often and every time we see the old cross for our guys, it's been falling apart. It's just two pieces of wood nailed together on the side and they're drooping. And their names were just kind of carved in there, which is amen for them. You know, they did what they could. I think it was time to just retire it and make a new one. So uh, yesterday I just kind of worked all day getting this done. Uh, But yeah, this is a cross with all of our uh, boys' names on it from the platoon. So, in order, we got, we got Nick O'Brien, we got Joshua and the McDaniels, and Michael Dutcher across the horizontal sweet, sweet portion of the cross. That's, that's beautiful, that. man. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's
7: beautiful.
4: Let's get this thing in the ground.
3: You guys remember my special skill when we were boots? What's that? Dig it. Dig it? I think we better stir. Yeah. I'm bringing in stern shit. Every too. time I want to go go use the head out there, you're a stern shit. <laughs> Why are you always doing that? I like it. Bo was Tell volunteer. us about you. His, I'll do
4: it. I didn't volunteer for it. I
3: think Miner picked you first, then. Always. He's like, Bo doesn't mind. Bo doesn't mind fucking stern shit. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, Mike well, look pickax, who has two huh? knees still. Mike had the pickaxe, huh? Is too soon? What?
8: oh yeah that's way sturdier than what it was before oh yeah it's beautiful baby
0: we'll be back after the break
2: Visit LiveNation.com/slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Some 41 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two-Door Cinema Club. The
7: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The campaign moment podcast from the Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my tenth election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: Hey, here's right old What's up? How you doing? All right, welcome to your welcome <laughs> to
0: After the hike up First Sergeant's Hill, we link back up with Minor and Laura and head to a restaurant in San Clemente called Pizza Port, where the guys used to like to hang out when they were stationed at Pendleton. We get a couple of pitchers of beer and some food and sit around a big picnic table outside. I would like to propose a toast. Here's to third squad, but also to all the PB Fire's Marines. I know this is a Marine Corps birthday, but tomorrow's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. Welcome home to all of you, and thank you for everything. Salute. And also, here's to O'Brien, McDaniels, and Dutcher. Cheers. Cheers. The old shit-talking routine starts up immediately, and the war stories soon follow. Nothing too graphic, just the play-by-play of firefights, hilarious fuck-ups, and near-misses with IEDs. The unemotional surface of war that's safe enough to skim in the company of friends. But at some point, Bollinger decides to take the conversation in a different direction.
4: So, as of late, I've been going through this perception change, right? So imagine if you planned your, if your best self planned your life, every struggle you face, every challenge you face, every hardship you face, you planned it. And the goal being your best self having to overcome those things to learn and do better.
5: Everything that's happened?
4: Everything. Yeah, because, I mean, you got to rebuild. If you would break down shit, rebuild From yourself. fucking tough shit that fucking made us hard, that w- those single events prepared us for Afghanistan. Then we went to Afghanistan, we lived through that, and now here we are again. And I think this all was meant to happen, and it's all your choices and how you choose to move through that.
5: It's you how know? you overcome the obstacles that you threw in front of yourself yeah. to see if you can overcome them. Yeah. It's
4: pretty deep for a crayon, either. It is, isn't it? I've upgraded to markers, though. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're juicier. Markers. Markers. I like I like how you bite into them and they explode
0: in your mouth. <laughs> Southworth has been pretty quiet so far, sitting at the corner of the table and taking it all in. But it's clear that he's got something on his mind. When there's an opening, he starts talking about June 15, 2011, when seven Marines, including him, were wounded in one of the platoon's worst mass casualties.
3: You could be in the very back of the patrol not even near what happened, but you're going to feel like I should have been there. I should have done something about that. I should have done this. And you feel like you fucking failed. So hard.
0: Southworth still has a thin, curving scar on his face where a bootlace that had been turned into shrapnel by an explosion embedded deep into his skin. The bootlace belonged to Sergeant Josh Yarborough who lost both legs to the same IED. For years, I was beating
3: myself up, just feeling like it's just the worst thing in the world. And, like, finally I get to see Yarborough again. We go out to eat at some Italian place here. And when we're leaving, he goes south. He's like, I'm sorry, man. Like what are you sorry about? He's just he's just like, I'm sorry for what happened to your face, man, because because I took shrapnel from his IED he stepped on. He's ap- he's apologizing to me. And I'm like, are you absolutely are you serious? Like are you absolutely serious right now? You you feel bad about you it. feel bad about that? That's insane. Where I'm I'm for years I'm the one thinking that, you know, I, I don't even deserve to live because of how much of you know I failed.
0: Like Bollinger, Southworth has worked hard over the years to let go of his feelings of guilt and to recover from his trauma. He sought mental health treatment while he was still on active duty and educated himself on the science of PTSD as a college student after he got out. He's raising a family, keeping fit, and has a good job. And he's also very active in his church. I almost feel like a little guilty because of how well I'm doing.
3: I I sleep really good at night. I don't have any nightmares. I can't say I'm cured of PTSD, but I feel like it. I have my moments, but... They're far in between. Yeah, and uh, there's usually some sort of weird trigger, like you know, the you know, horrible news we just saw in Afghanistan. Like, like, yeah. but
0: Laura's sitting at the far end of the table. I overhear her saying something to Bollinger about how nice it is to see everyone together, talking so openly. I ask her to repeat it so everyone can hear.
6: I was telling uh, Bo that I think it's, it's good for you guys. I mean, what you guys went through together, it's something that no one else has gone through. And so you guys understand each other and should do this more often because you support each other. And there's, there's obviously that camaraderie, that brotherhood that keeps you guys together. And I was telling him like, Manny, you haven't stopped smiling since you drove up that driveway. Like, with him, I always push him, like, go, go on those trips, go meet with them. Ah. And I know if he says nah because he doesn't want that emotional, you know, breakthrough. And, I, I, and you, like I said, you guys put up a good front, but and I know that's why he, like, avoids it all. I mean, we didn't make it all the way up. Um, maybe that's why his knee gave out, I don't know.
5: Old and broken. <laughs> Actually, I think Dutch punched me right in the knee because we were making fun of him on the way up.
6: <laughs> but, you know... it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, fuck There's his deterrence. There's his deterrence is being an ass. <laughs> but uh, I just... He's always
3: been like that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, it's
6: true. You know, I've accepted it. <laughs> I've come to terms. He's gotten better.
5: You guys going to have an intervention on me now? <laughs> but, but being an oh, ass.
6: <laughs> 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 well, let me ask you this. When you guys feel that way, what makes it so hard to reach out to someone?
8: Really good question actually. Because you have to you have to break through that barrier or the that threshold.
6: You, you, you basically have
8: to
5: put your ego aside and legitimately ask for the help. Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is. It's it. what it boils down to. I mean, Marine, most Marines are, we, we classify ourselves as alpha males. Like we are the, the fucking pinnacle of what it is to be a, but a you've Marine But you got your fighter. brothers
6: here who would do anything and they were not going to judge you over it.
5: it. It's the same thing that we can joke around and all that other shit, but when it comes down to actually exposing the bare flesh, you might say, it, it's hard for a
8: lot of us. Yeah, there's just a lot to overcome internally. Um... And it takes a huge amount, like prolonged, so just we, internal dialogue.
6: What would make it easier to there's get nothing? That I, there's
8: nothing. I don't think there's anything external except now maybe something like this. The, that that podcast actually opened my eyes up to a lot
5: of the a lot of the guys that I never knew were having a hard time.
4: Yeah. Well, and I think a big part of it's just that it's that fucking pride bit, or that. Yeah. That 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 fucking. Ego, man. Yeah, it, and, and it's like you have to fucking, you have to like, you know, make yourself vulnerable enough to call somebody that you've been so maybe strong a, in front of, because a, I mean, and, and it's, yeah. I mean, at the top up there, I fucking, we were talking, and I had to fucking go cry, and I walked off to go cry.
5: It's because you don't want to seem weak. Because you don't want
4: to seem weak. Exactly. Seem- exactly.
5: It's the
3: same reason you start playing defense immediately when you start feeling like those sort of emotions started yeah, bubbling. Yeah, that's what I do. So and then you try to almost physically yeah, just push it back. One of my, one of my big defense down.
5: things is being a smart ass and making you know, snide, joking comments. That's 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 one of my fucking defenses.
8: Yeah, I do.
3: That, yeah,
5: that's
8: that's that, that's that's what I do. I think today is like a stepping stone right now. Like this conversation that we're having, I think from this point forward, minor just start opening up, motherfucker. Oh,
4: fuck you, bitch.
8: Start opening up.
4: I was opened up right there. No I just, more. I just opened
8: up. More. I think right now this is a good start. Later, this is a good stepping stone. Manny. <laughs> what? But I mean, it's like okay, Doctor Phil, calm down. <laughs> I think this is good.
9: I, I think
6: oh, with good. time,
8: I think with time, just give it some more time. Keep trying.
6: Yeah, it's only better. been eleven years. <laughs> I don't
8: know. I think, <laughs> no, well, no. I think the fact that us three are here, and then we've done this whole, um, this whole Ordeal of the third squad thing, these these podcasts, and I think that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it's not just going to be him opening up. It's going to be he's I think you're recognizing now that all of
5: us all of you guys are hurting and I never knew it Because even when I'd ask you guys questions, no one would ever respond to it You guys you guys would always say I, I'm good. How are you? That's what and, that, about. and that's and that, like after this podcast, I'm like fuck man. Maybe I should reach out more, but all I got was I'm good How are you? That's all I ever fucking got
0: When I interviewed Miner back in April, he was a pretty tough customer, but I remember relating to a lot of what he said, particularly when he talked about not wanting to be judged. My,
5: my biggest thing is the reason why I don't tell people a lot of what I went through is because I don't want their perspective of me to change. I don't want people to, to treat me differently than they would anyone else who walks off the street. That's why I don't tell a whole lot of people I'm actually a veteran. Yeah, the, 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 the people who were veterans, they will fucking spot me from a mile away, but people who don't know, They'll just treat me like any other person, and that's that's all I want. I just want to be treated like everyone else.
0: Here with these guys from his platoon, Miner seems more comfortable. He shares something that he didn't talk about last April. He tells us about what it was like to see Joshua McDaniel's father, Brent, at a gathering after he got home from Afghanistan.
5: That shit fucking that shit broke me, man, whenever I saw Brent, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. I took everything in my body to hold back what i had when i saw brent right. I'm like,
0: I'm so not, what if you didn't have to hold back what if you could let it out what if you could just give yourself permission to feel it
5: i don't i don't i don't know if i'd ever come back to be honest with you i'm I'm so used to having it in in control of it so much i don't know if i'd ever be able to
4: regain control yeah we definitely we feel ourselves running away with it and we're like Ugh.
5: Nope, nope. Really back in. For
4: me, put that back away. Yeah. Put it in the box. Yeah,
5: here, But for me, if if I was to ever lose control, I don't know if I'd ever gain it back. Like I I've I've lived my life off of controlling what I can and when I can. Not of what I can't. If I can't control it, you can ask Laura. I just go right past it and say, Fuck it, I'm not worrying about it. If I can control it, then I will control it. But if I can't control it, I fuck it going about my way and if, and if I I feel like if I actually exposed everything that there is to expose, I would never regain that control. And that's, that's honestly, that is my biggest fucking fear.
4: So I think about what my first shrink, Doc Campbell said to me when we were getting ready to talk about the whole thing, to go into it, to really fucking get into it. And she said, you know how I know you're gonna be fine going through this and experiencing this? Because you survived it already. You already survived it. Now you just have to deal with it. Now you just have to understand it and accept it. And that, for me, was a big deal. Pretty good. That's you already survived it the first time.
0: Maybe we can raise a glass one more time. I hear that. To
3: Cheers to, to the fallen and not forgotten.
0: I say to the new chapter in all of your lives. We'll be back after the break.
2: Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahey Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports
9: wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise.
0: All right. Okay. Here we go. We ready? It's November 12th now, and I'm sitting in a hotel room in San Diego with Bollinger, Mendoza, and Jarek Fry. Who made a special detour on his way to compete in a jiu-jitsu tournament in Las Vegas to catch Manny and Bo on stage last night, talking in front of a live audience in the hangar bay of the USS Midway Museum, at an event hosted by the Center for War and Society at San Diego State University.
4: When we got the word that we were going to Sangin, and then we started looking at Sangin, and then it was like, whoa, like, holy shit.
8: Yeah, that was, right. an, that was an interesting period. You get that word, hey, we're going to Zangin. Like, how the hell do you even spell that? Um, uh, we start getting reports from 3-5, all the casualties they're taking. And yeah, there was a couple nights over the balcony where I would just stare at the stars like, oh, shit, what am I getting into?
0: Before everybody heads off in their separate directions, I wanted to get them together to talk about something we couldn't talk about last spring because it hadn't happened yet. Okay, so... The one thing that we haven't really talked about is the fall of Afghanistan.
1: The chaotic and deadly U.S. evacuation from Afghanistan stunned Americans and the world.
0: What was it like for you to watch the television clips of the airport getting flooded with people trying to leave, the people falling from the bottom of the plane, and to see the Taliban parading through the streets of these Afghan cities and then retaking Kabul?
4: I mean, to me, it was kind of uh, like, I don't know, the overall fall of Afghanistan, I, I, I think that you, you'd have to have a rise before the fall. <laughs> I don't know if, if the Taliban ever ever didn't have a foothold there. They didn't have a presence there. I would call it definitely a resurgence. But in my mind, when we were in Afghanistan, the people didn't want us there, and they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. And you can't, you can't destroy an idea with weapons with guns um, and really I think we just we just inf- reinforced their their concepts about us and uh, yeah I think it should have been five years sooner ten years sooner I mean there's you know people talk about with that suicide bombing you know like and those those Marines being killed to me it was it was you know expected you know if we didn't pull out that day those twelve Marines probably still would have died but we'd you know, we'd still, we'd still be there. And there'd be 12 more Marines later. And there'd be 12 Marines after that, or five Marines, or civilians. And my heart breaks for the Afghan people, you know, particularly the women. But I think we're fighting a political ideal. And we, you know, we just sort of kept reinforcing this concept that we were, we were there trying to tell them what to do rather than letting them make the choice. And to me it was very, uh, it was sad to watch, but at the same time it wasn't unexpected.
8: Yeah, I, wasn't surpri- I was not surprised by the fall or the collapse or the resurgence basically was pulling out and the Taliban just coming out of nowhere. It was incredibly frustrating. Um, mostly I was, I was really frustrated and pissed off at the, the smirk that I saw on the faces of these uh, Taliban um, as they're parading around. It's like, I could knock that smirk out of you, right, like, fucking relatively quick. You were just in hiding, and now you're so full of fucking pride because we're no longer there. We're no longer, you know, able to just smack you down, snap your fucking jaw in half, see if you smile after that. So that that, that part pissed me off when I saw those victory parades that they were having. And uh, the weapons that they were using pissed me off as well because... Most of the time, they were like American weapons. And um, another thing that pissed me off was that they would have, they didn't even have like LBVs or load-bearing vests. They had like one weapon and that's it with one magazine, most of the, the pictures that I saw. So it was basically dudes that just picked up weapons and were like, yeah, I'm Taliban now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm part of this victory. I'm part of the celebration. Hey, we won, we beat the Americans. We weren't beaten. We just stopped fighting. So um, that that pissed me off a lot, looking at the victory, but um, at their victory, resurgence, it's a good word, much better than uh, calling it as a a fall. Um, and yeah, what Bo said, man, my, it took me a while to come to this conclusion, but my heart is broken for the people, especially the women. They are the ones that are really going to be suffering the most out there. And in terms of, all of our casualties. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, do you feel like it was all for nothing? That they died for nothing?
7: Yes and no. That's a really hard one. I think that's no, man. Yeah. I think you know. I, I don't think you can ever view that as as they died for nothing. They died so that me, you, and him are here. Yep. You know. So no matter what, like you know, going to war. Um, I didn't go to war necessarily for the big grand picture of it, right? I went to war and I came to Afghanistan to help the individuals that I can help on my level. You know, you can only affect things at your level. So like viewing it like that, people lost their life so that we can walk. Mm -hmm. And so the decisions that we make going forward better be with that in mind, Mm -hmm. you know? uh, As far as the fall of Afghanistan or the resurgence or whatever, I think that here in America, you know, we live in this nice first world country with all these great things and these great ideals and these these understandings of how we're gonna push something onto another civilization. And when a lot of Americans don't understand the fact that in these third world countries, they don't even have like a semblance of what we have here. So, you know, we try to go over to these countries like Iraq, you know, afghanistan vietnam you know it's kind of the same idea we try to go over there and throw our democracy on these people that's all they care about they care about living so I, I think that it is a like misconception on us on our parts as naive americans you know as a whole i'm not speaking as us because we have a different view of it but as like america like, hey, we have a naive like small picture mm-hmm. of what we can do and then you know, when the media paints it this big way, the fall of Afghanistan, oh my God, look, this was terrible, all these bad government choices that we made and stuff, whatever. It doesn't doesn't degrade what we did, what the guys lost their lives for. It doesn't degrade any of that. It really doesn't, and we can't view it like that. Something that,
4: that struck me, and I don't know about you guys, but with the fall or whatever of Afghanistan was the similarities I saw, and this might be a fucking hot button, but with January 6th, in DC. And it's like these people thinking, you know, it was Americans thinking that they could just use force and strength to take over the government. You know, and I saw that and I don't know, you know, politically where they were, but then, you know, all those months later I saw Afghanistan and I, I just had those visions in my mind of, you know, people on American soil. And it it actually, anyone in my mind who, who can, who can empathize with the people in DC on the sixth who went into the Capitol? If you can empathize with them, you can pretty well empathize with
0: the Taliban. So somebody tell me, maybe Manny, what what was the first news that you saw? What were the first images that you saw when you knew that the Taliban had taking the country over. Do you remember finding that out? First, it was Biden
8: popped up and said, pulling out. And then slowly, you just start seeing more and more headlines of Taliban take over this district or this province. And basically, uh, the, the frequency of those headlines increased from that point forward. But it's like anything else, everybody raises up arms and really gives certain topics attention for about a month, and then they move on to the next thing. So for that entire month, um, uh, it, it was just flooding uh, all, of my, all of my news feeds, all the all, uh, social media. And I was indifferent to it all. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to stop working right now to think about this. Because it's just going to piss me off way too much. As I don't know how I'm going to react once I start ac- accepting what is going on out there. So I am not gonna stop working. I'm gonna keep doing, I'm gonna keep busy until I actually have the time to sit down and think about this. <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. This is insane. It's just a, a repeat of everything, of uh, Vietnam, I guess. It's like uh, we just don't learn the fucking lesson. I mean, I felt, I felt angry
4: because it seemed like there was more articles in that two weeks after the war in Afghanistan ended than the entire 20 years prior.
8: That's a good point.
4: They cared after. The, the American people, the, the news media only cared after we left. And then it was a political thing. You know, then, then it had a fucking impact because now we're pulling out. And it was like, oh, this is big news. But, you know, those 12 Marines, that was just 12 more Marines out of, you know, over... I don't even know how many people have died in Afghanistan.
0: You know, thousands maybe? Yeah, about two. Americans? Yeah. About 2,500 in uniform, and then another large number of people who were contractors and. And not to mention suicides. Maybe tens of thousands of people who were wounded. Yeah. And then, and then they care after the fact, and that, that annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Manny, you said we just didn't learn the lesson. Why? And I want to know what the lesson is that we should have learned.
8: Number one, don't pull out right away. A slower exodus as opposed to just picking up and leaving as soon as possible. That just creates so much panic. There's a much better way of leaving a country. Do you think that would have made the ultimate end different? Well, certainly wouldn't have been what we had now. So, yes, it would have been different. It would have been a controlled, I mean quality exit man it's like you know like uh, if a, heli- a helicopter's picking up your platoon not everybody just jumps in the fucking helicopter all at once like everybody pick up your weapons just get in no you hold security and you pull out one at a time one squad one team at a time to me the lesson is um stop trying to control the behaviors of other people in other
4: parts of the world they're out of our fucking control like mm, okay what, what the fuck good is it for us to fucking try and fix the government in Syria, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, fucking Bosnia, you know, when we, 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 can't, we can't even get, a, get along here in our own fucking country. To me, it's sick for us to believe that, that we can change these other countries and change these other places when we, can, we don't even have the solutions here. We, can, we can't even agree on a solution here we all agree that there's a fucking problem but we don't know the solutions we we can't tell other people what
8: to do if we don't know i've thought about that for some time about how involved we are around the world and the conclusion that i've reached on why we do it i mean it's just really simple and that's or the quality of life that we have like how fucking wasteful we are i mean we are so wasteful compared to everybody else in the world, and it's because we have an abundance of things, and that comes from us protecting our interest abroad. The high-quality, wasteful life that we have, we have it because we're involved in, with other countries' affairs, and we create all kinds of fucked-up situations, all, fuck, all kinds of fucked-up regions, like, say, the Philippines or... Asia, Africa, to protect our resources that allow us to have the, the wasteful, high quality life that we have.
4: I mean, we're we so wasteful, we can waste 2,500 lives trying to change a country.
0: I think that imagining a clean and perfect withdrawal is trying to put lipstick on a pig. I think we were withdrawing from Afghanistan for a decade. We started scaling down the same month that I was visiting with you. July 2011 was the peak of the Obama surge. And we started withdrawing after that. And it's been a smaller and smaller and smaller crew ever since. And by the time that withdrawal happened, there were a few thousand troops who were almost entirely centered at the airfields in Kabul. And you can't control a country the size of Texas that's as rugged and we couldn't control it with 100,000 troops and another huge contingent of foreign allies and the entire Afghan National Army being supported by American forces and air support. How are we gonna control it enough to have a, you know, a a withdrawal with honor, as they said, as Nixon said about Vietnam? Um, I just think that's a fantasy, I really do. And I think re-exerting the kind of control that would have been necessary to make our withdrawal look more organized would have required putting more troops in harm's way and going out and killing more Taliban in a war that we already basically lost. And if it were me making the decision as commander in chief, I couldn't do that. I couldn't commit more young Americans to death or serious injury on behalf of a a lost cause.
7: I just think the big thing for us and for other veterans to remember is that no matter what you went through um, or who you lost, whatever, you're still here and that you, it is your responsibility now to carry on and utilize the things that we've learned and the struggles because through that struggle, we became stronger Um, and realize that and use that as a tool to better as many people as you can around you. I love that. I think as, as
0: you say, Fry, in our own lives, in our communities, in our families, with the people that we can influence, I think we can start living for a better future. And I think we have a duty and a responsibility to do that as veterans, as men, and as people who've, who've lived through this history. And that's hopeful. It's not pretty, but it's hopeful. All right, see ya. Yeah, thank you. Good luck with your fight. We packed up and said our goodbyes outside the hotel. I ran Bo to the airport to catch his flight back home to South Dakota, and Fry took off for Vegas in his improbably tiny rental car. And then Manny and I drove up to La Jolla Cove, where we donned fins and masks and swam out past the breaking surf. It was windy and rough that day, cold even in our wetsuits. But it was wonderful to have another adventure together after all these years in a place where no one was trying to kill us. And I'm sure looking forward to the next one, wherever it might be. This episode of Third Squad was written and produced by Elliot Woods and Tommy Andres. It's an Heirloom Media production distributed by iHeartMedia.
3: Third Squad podcast has been a roller coaster filled with tears and a lot of laughter.
4: It wasn't easy to listen to Third Squad, but I'm so glad that I did.
0: Funding support from the National Endowment for the Humanities in collaboration with the Center for War and Society at San Diego State University. This documentary has not been sanitized for public consumption or the evening news. Those lies became became a part of my, my thinking about the world. Original music by Mondo Boys.
5: I listen to Third Squad and understand what I don't know that these folks know is that, like, life is precious and a commitment to an idea, even one not
0: fully understood, outweighs so many of the complaints that people carry about those ideas. If you'd like to see my photographs from Sangin and from our road trip, please visit thirdsquad.com. Also, if you got a minute, leave us a rating on your preferred podcast app. It'll help other people find the show. In every episode, I
5: found myself being informed of things I was not aware. found myself laughing or on the verge of crying, all in a matter of moments.
4: It felt like we were all invited to witness these soldiers as they processed their trauma and their grief. And I'm really grateful to them for sharing their stories so candidly and so courageously. It helped me Absorb the impact of this war, something that they faced and that they carry with them every day.
0: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Elliot Woods. What it
3: means to be a soldier became far less
5: abstract. The death of a soldier became far more than just a, a folded
3: flag. For them to open up and speak about their experiences individually on this podcast is just, it just makes me so, so proud of these guys. And it was an honor to uh, serve with them. I love them dearly.
5: The whole thing became a sort of a reckoning and it asked a lot of questions, um, but it answered enough to make Michael Datcher's life matter to me and to
8: make the lives of the folks he served with and of his family matter too. Even as it still felt so complicated and so broad and so...
3: So much of an unfinished story. I just wanted to take a second to thank you for keeping their sacrifices and memory alive. Semper Fi, brother.
9: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
2: in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
9: This is Uncanny USA.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Sum 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today,
6: Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually,